there's over 200 games that we can play with our dogs. You know, it's we, we can make up new games all the time, but the key is knowing what your dog's particular struggle is and then playing just a handful of games for each one of those struggles. And you can really change their personality. You know, you can really significantly change their outlook from, you know, becoming a more confident dog or calmer or whatever it is that you need them to do. Welcome to the Call the Vet Show, the podcast that helps pet parents understand and optimize the health of their furry family so they can live the full and happy life you want for them. And here's your host, veterinarian Dr. Alex Avery. A huge focus in wellness and in pet health is clearly physical health. And this is something that I've talked about time and again with obesity, with dental disease, with arthritis, with all of my expert guests that I've had on the show over the last few years. But one thing that is becoming increasingly apparent to me, or maybe something that I'm just spending a bit more time thinking about, is actually the mental well-being of our dogs and how all too often they are left to their own devices. They're very bored. They are not given the stimulation that they're needed. They're fed in bowls that are emptied in two seconds flat so they don't have to work for their food. And how this lack of stimulation is actually preventing them from living their best life. And so today I'm delighted to bring you an interview with the fantastic Nikki French, who is a dog trainer with a really important message. And the headline for this message is stop walking your dog. But before you turn off and think that that's the craziest thing you've ever heard, and if that was the only part of the message, it would be really the the key points that Nikki talks about are all of the other things that we should be doing to exercise our dogs to entertain them mentally to give them the stimulation that they need because actually for a lot of dogs heading out to the busy dog park going out and walking down the road with all the traffic passing by them interacting with all the strangers and the different stimulations can even be overwhelming and actually going for a walk can be an incredibly stressful situation so while we want to get them to the point where they're enjoying their walks there's so many other things that we should be thinking about and that goes for those of you whose dogs absolutely love going for their walk and you simply can't keep up with the demand for the exercise that they want. So this is such an important message that Nikki is sharing. I think it's so crucial for the overall well-being of your dog that you consider the mental stimulation, the level of interaction and training that they are getting. And this is something for every single dog owner to concentrate on. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here's this episode's expert interview. Nikki, welcome along to the show. Really pleased to be talking to you today. Welcome along. Oh, it's so good to be here. I love talking to you. You know that. <laughs> well, it's a bit overdue, isn't it? So um, I've been waiting for the right opportunity. And the book that you've written is The Right Opportunity, which we'll jump into later. But before we get into that and, and our main topic for today, I'd love you to just kind of introduce yourself and let us know how you became a dog trainer because you've kind of gone around the houses before you kind of ended up with your your dream job ultimately. It's just a little bit, yeah, 30 years around the houses. <laughs> so the, the short answer is um, I've only actually been working with dogs full time for the last three years. I was dog mad, animal mad my whole life. Summer holidays were spent on a family farm with working sheepdogs and feral cats. And I was the little kid that would try to tame every wild animal that I came across. And I actually wanted to be a vet. 
until I found out that you didn't get to just cuddle them and they didn't all get better. And I very quickly changed my career um, aspiration. So I, I had a 30 year career in sales and marketing in the property industry. I was the um, the lead uh, sales director on the Athletes Village for the London 2012 Olympics. So sort of corporate career. 30 years and I actually had a bike accident. I was knocked off my bicycle and that was 2014. And I had some niggling mental and physical issues, nothing horrendous, but it just made me reappraise what I wanted out of life. And I spent probably three years going, what am I going to do with myself? Um, I hadn't even been able to have a dog as an adult because I worked such long hours. And then it just came to me in a light bulb moment and Within 24 hours, I'd signed up for some training. I spent months retraining. I resigned. I set up my own business three months later. And Pup Talk and Twickenham Dog Services was born in 2019. So I now have my own dog, finally, as an adult, rather than just borrowing everybody else's. So I have Bodhi. He's my rescue collie lurcher cross, and he's a massive part of the business. So, yeah, it took me a long time. But at 50, I had a complete change of life, complete change of career. And it is the best thing I have ever done. That's amazing. And yeah, life turns on its head. And and I guess, yeah, life's got a funny way of um, bad things turning into good if you look for those good absolutely things, doesn't it yeah, yeah absolutely I, I do look at the accident and go thank goodness because I probably wouldn't have been kicked into changing my life if that hadn't happened at that point yeah yeah well, it's funny I grew up with dogs as well and I and, and I'm in a similar situation you know as a vet I still don't feel that I my life situation is such that actually I'd be able to provide for a dog how I would like to so we've got cats mm. who are a little bit more self-sufficient and um you know we wouldn't be without I had them, four but... cats in my corporate life for exactly that reason just to kind of tide me over <laughs> yeah yeah but there will be a dog one day I don't know when that will be but yeah it may not be till many years there's all kinds of different things that you know you'll have come across as a as a, as a dog trainer all kinds of different problems that I'm sure you're seeing every day but we're going to talk today about kind of nervous reactive and over excitable dogs what made you kind of recognize that that was a problem that people needed to know more about? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think there's a lot of misconceptions of people that when they get a dog, they think, well, I get a dog and I walk them every day. And there's actually quite a large number of dogs. And I was seeing them with my my training clients that actually the walks were a really difficult part of their day. And if you've got a dog that is, is, is nervous or reactive, you know, often people will lab- label aggressive dogs, but actually they're just really scared of the environment. Or even like my own dog, when I first got Bodhi, you know, he was very overexcitable. And when you put them in the situation that they struggle with, they are way past being able to learn anything. So it was really working with an increasing number of clients that I was saying to them, you need to either reduce or you need to stop actually walking your dog. And for most people, that's a kind of a, "Ah, what? (laughs) Hang on a minute. Of course I take my dog for a walk. What are you talking about? And and, and they think that, well, we'll do more of it or, We'll try and do it in quieter places or 
really early in the morning or late at night when we might not see some of the things that cause them to get worried or overexcited. But the reality of it, that that's really, really difficult to do. You know, you can't control everything around you in the environment. But the one thing you can control is where, you know, whether you go out of your front door or not. And I think that's a a massive mental hurdle for people Mm. to get over. People think that that's cruel if you don't walk your dog or, you know, even if you can see the benefit of not taking them out, other people around you will be, well, what, what are you doing? You need, they need more exercise, get them more tired. You know, that's, yeah. that, that's the solution, but actually it's the opposite that's true. Um, and some of my clients that did stop walking their dogs altogether for a period of time saw some amazing results because you can grow the skills that they need at home in an environment when then where they're not getting scared they're not getting triggered or they're not getting really overexcited but it's a massive hurdle for people yeah i mean it is that mental shift because i mean a lot of people actually will they'll get a dog to go walking and yes almost they're they're, they're recognizing that they need that health input themselves and a dog will actually force them to get out of the house so to then turn around and say well actually that's not what we need to be doing is is big yeah, yeah, massive. But even if it's for just a short period of time, what we can do is we can grow the skills they need at home. And, you know, that it, it's not just don't walk your dog and you sit on the sofa and you don't do anything. You know, you need to do other things instead. It doesn't need to take as long as it does walking a dog, because actually when you're playing mind and physical fitness games at home, it's i think it's kind of like airline miles you know it's it's a, what you can do in 10 minutes at home would take you a good 30 minutes plus to just tire out a dog on a more yeah. straightforward walk or chucking a ball around for them in the park um yeah obviously yeah. which i know neither, neither of us are not a fan of um, <laughs> yeah there's all but, problems you know, with you that you can but... do so much more at home but then you can give them the skills that they need so that they're then ready to go out and have a walk and i think the other thing is the um from the people perspective, is that if you have a dog that struggles on walks, I saw some of my clients becoming very kind of like, they're kind of stealing themselves to go for a walk, thinking, well, is this going to be a good walk or is this going to be a bad walk? And of course, the more apprehensive they are of what's going to happen when they're on the walk, the more the dog's going to pick up on that and think, oh, there's something I need to get worried about and the the more likely it is to happen. So it can become a bit of a a negative cycle. So then the walks that should have been a pleasurable experience for both dog and guardian becomes a stressful experience and it just becomes a bit of a negative cycle. So just being able to break that cycle can be incredibly helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're thinking of, you know, we could have at the very beginning, well, you know, dogs need walks, I guess what they need is stimulation. Um, you know, some physical stimulation, but actually a lot of it's mental st- stimulation. So what are we replacing these walks with? What kind of tools and games and um, yeah. training can people are people doing? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously dogs' noses is their number one sense. So anything that is involving their nose is fantastic. So it can be simple scent-finding games, um, 
when you know even if you've got a dog that you don't think has a particularly good nose even the you know the flat face the brachycephalic dogs you know they still have incredible senses of smell compared to us so getting them to use their sense of smell to find food to find toys around the home um, is incredibly powerful and the act of sniffing is very very calming for them so that really helps but it will be about playing games that are specific for the dog and how their brain is currently. So if you've got a dog that is very overexcitable, my dog, a lot of what we were doing were games that promoted calmness. Now, that doesn't mean just sit still and do nothing, but it would mean games that involve movement and their brain, but generally in a calmer way. Dogs that are nervous, you know, we can play games that help promote their sense of confidence. So it could be, you know, as simple as a cardboard box, scattering some of their daily food allowance in and around a cardboard box, depending on if they're incredibly nervous. Um, It might be a little pile of cardboard boxes and getting them to go and investigate and find the food or find a toy in and amongst objects that might touch them, might make move, might make some noise, that can actually help grow their sense of confidence. So there's very specific games, and there's over 200 games that we can play with our dogs. You know, it's, we, we can make up new games all the time, but the key is knowing what's your dog, what your, what your dog's particular struggle is, and then playing just a handful of games for each one of those struggles. And you can really change their personality. You know, you can really significantly change their outlook from, you know, becoming a more confident dog or calmer or whatever it is that you need them to do. Yeah. So with that in mind, where how do people recognize that they're I mean, they might be thinking, you know, when you were talking about that anxiety before they walk, they might be, you know, really recognizing themselves in that. But if yeah. they're you know, they're maybe not worried and they, you know, they're just thinking, oh, well, they're just a bit overexcited and they just can't wait to go. How do people recognise that actually that's not the case and they need to dial things things back? I, th- I think a lot of them are fairly obvious. You know, if your dog is nervous, um, I think the thing is to, to know what your dog's body language looks like, you know, really start to look at them. Videoing can be very helpful. You know, pop your phone on the floor and take a video of your of your dog or get someone to video your dog walking down the street with you and pay attention to what their ears are doing. How are they carrying their tail? You know, are they... Either are they desperately pulling towards things or do they seem a bit reluctant? Do you notice little things like actually when you pick up their harness and their lead, are they a bit kind of like, yeah, not not so sure? Or, you know, are they not too keen about jumping in the car? So I think a lot of it is about observation and really starting to pay attention to what they do and how they are. And, you know, pay attention to what your dog is trying to tell you. You know, we don't speak the same language naturally, but if your dog is um, barking at another dog, it might look like it's, you know, stay away, you know, and some people say, oh, you know, my dog's jealous of someone else approaching me. And, you know, that's a human emotion, but the dog is saying in that moment, they're not comfortable. And what we tend to view as sort of, aggressive is a big word, but a kind of some kind of aggressive display is very often I'm not comfortable in this situation. I'm barking to either keep you away or I'm barking to try and change my state. So 
I, I do see people saying, oh, shh, you know, don't worry, there's nothing to worry about. And But the dog doesn't understand what that means. It, it's saying it's not happy. So for me, the best thing is to, you know, do a 180, give them some some of their food as, as you walk away and try and create a positive experience for it, but not putting them in the situation where they're sort of having to tell you they're not they're not comfortable. Yeah, I love that. You kind of want to set them up for success rather than, you know, force them into a situation exactly. where it's only going to fail. I wonder if... Um, <laughs> I wonder what you'll think of this because I, I mean, we, you know, you see dogs all day, every day, and so do I. And you learn to read those subtle cues. Um, and actually, until I've been doing kind of more like this fear-free training and things that I've gone through, I've, you know, nothing that I learnt there was revolutionary to me, but it allowed me to actually put into words the things that I was, you know, reading from the dog. So, but but that comes with a lot of practice. And so I wonder if a lot of the time, you know, with the dogs that you're seeing have got a problem, they are actually quite an advanced level because it does, you know, those subtle cues are, are, are often missed. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, I do see dogs at all stages. And, and even if we're talking about puppies before they've had very long to sort of form their personality in one direction or another. You know, there are things that you can do. There are things that you can observe. And and to be honest, every single dog can benefit probably from being calm more of the time, probably more confident. Even the dogs that you might think are really, really confident, you know, you need to keep topping things up over time. Events can happen. You know, I don't know about, 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 about you, but this year we had so many fireworks for so long. I mean, they were going on for sort of two, two and a half weeks. And I know that dogs that previously were okay with fireworks were really struggling towards the end of that period because it was just building, building, building. So even if nothing bad happens, you know, another dog doesn't rush up to them or something like that, the, it's still a good thing to top up all of these things in a dog that is perfectly happy and perfectly, you know, outgoing, you, you can always top these things up. And, and as get dogs get older, you know, they also can, their personalities can change a, a little bit. Obviously canine cognitive decline is, is really very um, underdiagnosed, I think, isn't yeah, it? A lot of the time, yeah. just yeah. that the act of getting old, it's the same as us, you know, we, our brains start to, you know, break down and, you know, um, stiffen up a little bit. So, I think there's always a good reason to top up certain parts of their behaviour that you know are just going to stand them in good stead, just so that they can just be calm and happy, yeah. no matter what, no matter what they're faced with. Yeah, and what I love about this as well is that I think we're moving away from you know just in general, and even those dogs that cope, you know, very well with walks and they love their walks and they're you know very low stress. I think we're recognising more and more the importance of this mental stimulation at home and that it's simply not enough to walk your dog and then you go out to work and they're home alone all day with nothing to do because I think that causes a huge amount of, even if it's not causing problems, it's just their quality of life is substandard for what it could be. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. And and there is so much that we do. And, and, and a walk is a human invention. You know, wild dogs don't take themselves from A to B in a straight line at the same pace. Uh, you know, they just yeah. mooch around, they run, they play, they sniff, you know, they, they sit down, they chill out for a while. You know, a walk is very much our invention. 
And and even, you know, I take my dog for a walk, although I tell, tell some people, stop walking your dog. Um, I, do, I do take my dog for a walk. I'm not saying everybody should not walk their dog. But what I do is I take my dog's breakfast or I take his dinner. You know, he doesn't get any of his food in a bowl. It goes into a little bag. It goes into my pocket or my walking pouch. And when we're out and about, we'll play some games when we're in the middle of the park. Or if there's a nice little pile of leaves, I'll throw some of the tastier bits of food into a pile of leaves and get him to go and find them. So I'm creating little scent finding games when we're out in the park, or I'll just start throwing some of his kibble around in the middle of the park. Um, so, you know, we call that orientation game. So he's chasing down a piece of food, he eats it and he lifts his head and he comes charging back towards me because he's enjoying running around and chasing some of his food. So to avoid that kind of boring walk on a lead, or the sort of the other end of the spectrum of take them to the park and just repetitively yeah, throw a ball for them and then, you know, wear out their joints and their ligaments and end up seeing people like you. Um, just a little bit of intention and a little bit of planning. And you can play some super simple games for two, three minutes at a time that completely change how much stimulation, uh, you know, how, how, how happy and restful they can be. You know, my dog's got a collie, collie brain he should need to be able to, you know, he can work and work and work and work, but I can go and play games in the garden with him for five minutes and he'll settle down for a snooze. You know, it, yeah. it's not about having an hour or two of full on exercise. I mean, you look at those farm dogs and I, you know, I, we see quite a lot of farm dogs and they'll, you know, they actually spend a lot of their time tied up on the back of the truck or in their kennel, um, you know, or just watching the stock, not actually having that, intensive exercise and sure there's periods of the time but you know they're they are happy content dogs that aren't well i mean they want to work but they're not suffering because of that lack of exercise by any means yeah, they're ready to turn it on when they need to yeah but they don't need to be doing all all the time yeah yeah, yeah. and it's because they're getting the, the a great level of stimulation you know with the environment and and, the, and and dogs love a job to do you know they that they're so much so much more happy working for food than just getting that food in a shiny bowl in the corner of our kitchen and they've had their nutrition and then then they're hassling you to to do something and you're like i'm busy <laughs> you know you can avoid that kind of situation really easily yeah and not only have they not had to work for that food but they've eaten it in 20 seconds flat so yeah. that's that stimulation over and they'll often overeat as a result of that which has caused us huge problems which um yeah i've talked about many a time kind of what you were saying is that that you know all of those games you know the scattering of the kibble and and the boxes it doesn't involve a lot of money it doesn't involve a lot of output it's just a bit of intentionality really absolutely for, for me before it's recycling day i will be looking in that and thinking right what can i use and it might be a plastic milk carton and i can pop a few bits of food in that and i can just pop it down and my dog will you know, pick it up and trot out into the garden, please just punch like he's got a new toy. He'll bat it around the garden till the kibble falls out. He'll have worked really hard for five or 10 pieces of dinner. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and then I put the recycling out. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, most of it is is free. Towels, you can use towels just to make a snuffle mat. You know, you, you can get lovely snuffle mats and they're wonderful, but they're not cheap. You know, you can just grab a towel, scrunch it up with your hand and scatter some of their food in that. And it will just take them that bit longer. They'll either work out that they can pick it up and rag it. That yep. took brain power to work that up, or they'll delicately pick out each of the pieces. And a lot of people I see 
um, also say, oh, my dog's not that foodie. You know, they're not that into their kibble food and their dry food. And to be honest, it's because that, you know, food in a bowl is inherently not interesting. There's no experience with it. The environment creates all sorts of experiences of smells and you know, squirrels and birds moving around, making noises. And as soon as we start creating little experiences with their food, they can actually enjoy their basic dry food so much more. So you you end up not having to use loads and loads of treats. Um, yeah. You know, that you just create create an experience so that they enjoy the experience of finding and working for the food so much more than just woof out of a bowl gone. And uh, and then you've got a dog that's hassling you to do something else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess we speak a lot about in different situations about um, anthropomorphism and, you know, putting our human characteristics onto our dogs. And, you know, we eat for pleasure an awful lot of the time. And sure, if you give them something super tasty, then they will eat for that pleasure as well. But yeah, picky dogs in inverted commas is often because actually they're not hungry. So why would they, you know, why would they eat? But we worry so much and we express our love through giving them food, whereas we could express it through, you know, this extra attention and providing all of these different games and and, and that kind of thing. And so for, for people who want to, you know, who may be saying, well, actually, I recognise that my dog doesn't have a problem at the moment but maybe they're getting old and so there's a bit of cognitive decline or they're a bit arthritic and so um, you know maybe getting a bit more grumpy and anxious because of that how can they go about preventing this problem is it simply a case of providing these food puzzles and and that's all that they need to do or is there other things they can think about yeah it's not just food puzzles but it's also the games that you play and a lot of it is about boosting the relationship that you have with them i mean that's another good great thing about the games is that you're often working together as a, a team so you know a simple game like hand touch getting your dog to hand touch with their nose, um, nose touch your hand and moving your hand around and then they get the rewards. It's playing games that are constantly just stretching their mind a little bit. And it's fun for us to actually teach them something new and it doesn't need to be difficult and it doesn't need to take long, but it's an incredible relationship boosting thing. And I would, I think the thing is looking at your dog and look at what they are, what their personality is doing and think of what the opposite of that is. So, you know, for a dog that is starting to look nervous, the opposite of that is a dog that's confident and happy. And so it's then about playing the games that are going to help them grow their confidence, whether it's, you know, that's like the cardboard crashing kind of game or something like that, or even, you know, like that milk carton, putting some of their dry food in a milk carton when they knock it over and they try and get the kibble, that starts to make noises. So noise-making games can be good to help grow confidence. It could also be fitness games, you know, as their muscle tone starts to deteriorate and their flexibility starts to deteriorate. Simple little games, like perhaps putting their two paws, front paws up onto an object can just get a night. You can just like taking some of the food, um, you can get some nice little stretches going so you can get their fitness and their flexibility. So it's about looking at your dog and thinking, right, wh- what do they need right now? Wh- where do they seem to be struggling? And it just comes back to that observation thing. Um, but there, there is literally a game for everything that you could possibly want to do for your dog. So, Yeah, fantastic. And then for people who are working through because, you know, they've they've stopped walking, which is a big mindset shift, but they want to start ag- again how quickly i mean it's going to vary hugely i know but how quickly kind of can we expect 
to get them out and about? Yeah, I think it's it's about thinking re- reframing what a walk is. A walk is basically, let's look at it as a circuit of coming out of your front door. You might go up and down the pavement or you might go around your car or you might go down your draw- driveway and back in again. A walk is just a longer version of that. So thinking about what you want your walk to look like. And if you want that walk to look like your dog not pulling, your dog sort of trotting nicely along at your side, looking up at you because they know that you've got their breakfast in your pocket. It might just be out of the front door, a very tiny circuit, whatever looks good, and then back in and play some little games in your hallway. It could even be as small as playing some of the games with your dog on the lead with the front door open. You know, it can be as small as that. And how quickly you take it, actually, the slower you start off, the quicker you go, because you, you, what you want to do is not put them in a situation where they felt the need to, you know, be barking and lunging at a dog that went, you know, that they saw on the, at the other end of the street. So grow it in small increments and keep playing the, the, the games to boost, you know, the confidence or the calmness at home. And then they'll actually make big strides further on how you know how it could just be you just need a two-week holiday from not walking them just to kind of reset and and you know grow some games um some of my clients have stopped walking their dogs for three to four months and then they go back to building it up in sort of like a little alleyway that they know that they can go to and they're not likely to see anything that worries them um and some of my clients say to me um, I say to them, well, how often do you walk your dog? And now they say, well, it's somewhere between one and five walks a week. And I look at the dog each morning and I just kind of go, how's she doing? What does she look like she's ready for? You know, how they start the day really does set the tone for how they are for the rest of the day. So if they had, you know, perhaps a, a bad night, maybe they didn't sleep through the night or they've got an upset tummy or something, Maybe that day is the day that you go, today's maybe not a great day to take them for for a walk. So, you know, there's no hard and fast rules. It is very much what feels right, what feels right and try it. And also, if you go for a walk and it doesn't end up looking right, don't beat yourself up. You know, it's just giving you information that says, okay, they're not quite ready for this right now. And you can step it back to something that they could cope with, you know, a loop around the car and back in again or something like that. Or, you know, if you, you've got places that you can go to where you can hire fields and things like that, you know, there are other things that you can do, but yeah, don't beat yourself up. Just look at everything as useful information that you can maybe tailor what you do the, the next day. Yeah, absolutely. I guess with a lot of these um, problems and uh, recognizing the problem is the first you know huge step and then as long as you're working on it you know we all have ups and downs and you know successes and and some failures and it's just learning from those and knowing that you're on you know this journey that may take yeah that two weeks or may take three four months or or longer i mean that's a horrible question to ask because i know it depends on you know (laughs) how much work you put in and and what the the problem is people ask (laughs) how long is it going to take me no it's an understandable question because you know if you're in a situation that you want to change um you know being motivated to want to change it is a good thing And, and i do encourage people just to um, you know, make make some notes of what they're struggling with, or you know, you you can just keep a little tracker that of your day. What percentage of your day is your dog spend spending in a calm state? Because if they are struggling out on walks, 
there's probably a fairly good likelihood that they might also be barking at dogs that go past the front window or barking at birds in the garden or getting really overexcited when visitors come to the house. You know, generally they, they, these things can can go together. So, you know, keeping some kind of tracker can be useful just to sort of take, take note and then think actually in two weeks time after we did this, oh, actually noticeably, you know, our dog yeah. was calmer yeah. for longer it, periods of it time. It provides that reference point because when things are happening so slowly or potentially so slowly and you're so invested, you don't feel like you're making any No, progress. we tend to focus. Yeah, we focus on the things that didn't go right rather yeah. than the little wins. And as a lot of what I get people to do is, you know, tell, tell us something that your dog really did well this week. Find something. There is always something. Nikki, this is, is a fascinating topic and it's, you know, it's very much not in my wheelhouse, which is why I love talking, you know, to you and other other people who are experts in their field. For 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 those people um who are hearing this and thinking, well, that could be my dog, or I don't want that to be my dog, um, tell us a little bit more about your book, where people can find that and and yeah, where you'd like to send them to. Yeah. So uh, the book is called Stop Walking Your Dog just to get people's attention. Um, but even if you don't want to stop your walking your dog, it's packed with lots and lots of tips and steps to go through. And it also follows a little bit of my journey, becoming a dog trainer and with my dog Bodhi. There's lots of games in there. And there's also a link to all of the videos that I talk about in the book so people can actually see the games being played as well. So it's available on Amazon and Kindle, and you just need to search for Stop Walking Your Dog, and it should be super easy to find. If you want to get in touch with me, my website is www.puptalk.co.uk. There's always a contact form or uh, to get in touch with me there. Um, so, yeah, you can find out more about me there. Fantastic. I'll leave all those links in the show notes as well. Um Thank you so much for your time, Nikki. Um, yeah, we'll have to have a chat and about about your next top topic because yeah, it's I think dog behaviour and dog training is underappreciated in the fact that the impact that it can have on a dog's well being is just so huge. So thank you for the work that you do and thanks for sharing that message with us today. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Helping your pet live the happy, healthy life they deserve. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on Nikki's message and all of the things that you do to keep your dog mentally stimulated. What are their favourite activities, their favourite toys? How have you recycled your empty bottles or your cardboard boxes to create the ultimate snuffle mat or whatever it is that your dog really enjoys using to get their food? I'd love to hear all of your top tips. You can share them with me over on Instagram where you'll find me at Our Pets Health or leave me a comment in the show notes where you'll also find a link to buy Nikki's book on Amazon as well as all of the other links that we discussed in today's conversation. And because this message is so important, I'd love it if you would help me share it far and wide. So jump on the social media platform of your choice and hit that share button. Send it on a WhatsApp message to a friend or family member who you feel really needs to hear this message so that their dog really can live the full and happy life that they deserve. So thank you in advance for doing that. And until the next episode, I'm veterinarian Dr. Alex. This is the Call the Vet Show. Take care. That's it for this episode of the Call the Vet Show. Be sure to visit callthevet.org to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. We'll see you next time.